get you to grab your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter three. Philippians three, we're in a series walking through Philippians, and right now we're in a little sub-series called Chasing Jesus, Chasing Jesus. And the truth is, in this room, every single one of us in this room, is we're chasing something. We're in pursuit of something. Uh, there's something that we see as ultimate, and we're chasing that thing, whatever it might be, more than anything else in, in our life. And the truth is, if we were to get honest, what we would discover is, is that this thing that we think is ultimate, the reason I refer to it as chasing this thing that we see as ultimate is because that oftentimes if we were to, to get honest about the thing that we're chasing with the most passion, it typically is because we're trying to find something in it. Like we're trying to find an identity, we're trying to find satisfaction, some sort of fulfillment. And if we're not careful because of our sin nature, a lot of times those things that we chase in this life, they will become substitutes for Jesus. So in other words, this thing that we're chasing, we're trying to find in it something that we can only find in Jesus. And I think this is true for all of us, that we have these things in our life, because the truth is we were created for a relationship with Jesus, to know him, to find identity in him, and to be satisfied by him and him alone. But what happens often, because of our sin, we get distracted and we begin to pursue things other than him, and before we know it, we're, we're looking to those things as substitutes for what Jesus should be in our life. And this is true for all of us in the room. Paul talks about this last week. Paul said in, in Philippians 3, the earlier part of this, by the way, Pastor Daniel did a great job uh, uh, last week with this sermon. You can say amen to that. He did a great job and thought it was incredible because he did, it, he did a good job of setting up the, the first few verses of this, of this chapter where Paul was very honest about what he was pursuing uh, before he met Jesus. Paul says, man, I was chasing Religion. I was trying to find righteousness in my own goodness. I was trying to have a relationship with God on my own terms. So he says, listen, I was born in the right family and I took pride into that. I was, uh, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was, uh, as far as obedience to the law, people looked at my life and they said he's blameless. So not only did Paul chase religion, he was really good at chasing religion. And the problem was Paul understood that what he was longing for, what was missing in his life, was a relationship with God. But he made the mistake that a lot of people make, and they think oftentimes that we can have a relationship with God by our own merit, by our own goodness. If I can clean my life up, if I can be religious, I can have a relationship with God. And, and Paul says, that's what my life was about before Jesus. I chased religion trying to find what I could only find in Jesus I was trying to find in religion. And I don't know what it is that you're chasing. Some of you, you might be chasing religion as well. Others of you, you might be chasing things like money and success and uh, acceptance or approval or some sort of, of relationship, trying to find some sort of fulfillment in your life. But we need to come to the same place that Paul came to. Paul came to the, the realization one day that, yes, I'm chasing religion, but religion is not gonna give me what I'm looking for. I can only find that in Jesus. In fact, let's listen to Paul's words. Paul says this in Philippians chapter three. If you're there, say the Bible is true. Uh, say, why do we say that every week? It's because the Bible is true, amen? And we need to remember the Bible is true, and so we'll say that almost every week, amen? All right, Paul says this, verse seven. But whatever gain I had, this was in his, in, when chasing religion, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He goes on to say, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain 
Christ. He, he says, I, he, Paul is saying, I came to the realization that Jesus is better than anything else I could be pursuing. He says, look, when I was pursuing religion, there were things that I thought were gain. Like I, I thought that I was, I was gaining in what I was looking for, which is a relationship with God. And, and I prided myself in my accomplishments. But the moment I met Jesus, this is what Paul says, I recognized that everything that I thought I was gaining, I was actually losing. And I see it now as garbage and rubbish and meaningless compared to a relationship with Jesus. You know why? Paul has a shift in his heart when he meets Jesus. You see, before Jesus, Paul saw religion as ultimate. Therefore, he chased religion with everything because he believed that it would cause him to feel whole and full and satisfied and be in a relationship with God that he was created for. And he comes to realization, religion can never do that. And now he sees Jesus as ultimate. Therefore, he sees religion as worthless as meaningless, and it got me nowhere, and now I find in Jesus everything I've been looking for and longing for in life. In essence, Paul is saying religion didn't give me what I thought it was gonna give me. It just left me more tired at the end. But I found in Christ everything that I was looking for. Let me illustrate it like this. I, I, I don't mind running when I work out, but I, I don't like running on a treadmill. A couple uh, weeks ago, I was in a, a Dallas at a, at a tournament with my daughter and went to a hotel and decided I was gonna go to the gym and work out and I got on the treadmill and I really remembered how, why I hate running on a treadmill so much. And here's why. Is that you run for however long you run for and when you get to the end of it, you're sweaty and you're tired and when you get off the treadmill, you didn't go anywhere. Like I don't mind running somewhere, if I'm running to something or from something, Right? Like there needs to be some distance that I'm covering if I'm gonna exert that much energy, but to get on a treadmill and to run for 35 or 40 minutes and then you get off of the treadmill and you're like, I'm at the same place I was. Oh, I'm just more tired, hot and sweaty right now. And so people tell me this, they say what you need is a Peloton. If you don't like treadmills, get a Peloton because in a Peloton, the treadmill Peloton, it has this screen and you, it's on Wi-Fi and you can actually run with a group. So there's a group of people running and there's an instructor and you can actually put a setting in there that can take you to different destinations so that, and I've never done it before, but what they tell me is, is that you can like, if you wanna run the mountains of Colorado, you can put that in there and it'll map out the course and the elevation will change and you have other people running with you and there's a coach yelling at you the whole time, telling you to go faster and, and, uh, and so you're on this and you actually step in or if you wanna run through you know, the woods, you can type in whatever track or whatever and they, now you're running through the woods and it's, it's like you're there and there's people with you and you can put different settings but here's my only problem with it. Whenever you hit stop and you get off, you're still at the same spot. All you've done is just have an image that made you feel better while you did it and then you get off and you're like, I don't care how I felt, who I ran with, I didn't go anywhere. In essence, this is what Paul is saying. He says, I was on the Peloton with the setting on religion. And I was running with all the religious people and I was running well and I was running good and I was leading the pack. But when I saw Jesus, I recognized that what I've been running for was getting me nowhere. And I stepped off the Peloton and I started chasing Jesus. And some of you, you're on the Peloton setting of relationships 
if my marriage would be better, if I could get into a different marriage, if I could fix the marriage I'm in, or if I could get married, or if I could date this person, or know this person, or be in relationship with these people, or get these people to include me in their social group. And listen, I know, we always talk about teenagers having that struggle. Listen, adults struggle as much as anyone else. Hoping that if somehow through relationships, I'm gonna find what I'm looking for in life. And it's getting you nowhere. Some of you are on the Peloton setting of, of wealth and accomplishment and, and accumulating more stuff. And what's happening is, is that you're, you're driving nicer cars and you're living in better homes and you're living in better neighborhoods and you're getting more wealth around you, but you're still chasing because that thing you're looking for, you haven't acquired yet. And here's the thing, you're gonna discover you're running with that group on that setting and here's what you're gonna discover is that it's gonna get you nowhere in the end. Others of you, you're running with the Peloton setting of approval. You just think that if you can do enough good stuff, people will think well of you and, and somehow because of the way that you feel about yourself and the low self-esteem, that if you can just make other people like you more, then all of a sudden you're gonna feel better about yourself and you do all of these things exhausting yourself daily only to recognize that it's not getting you anywhere. And I could go on and on and on with the different settings that we could be running on, but here is the reality. No matter what it is, what you're looking for is found in Jesus and until you get off the Peloton, you can't discover that. And, and here's the point that Paul is making. Why would I continue to run going nowhere on the peloton of religion when the real thing is in front of me and his name is Jesus? And that's the same thing. Whatever it is you're chasing in this life, I want you to recognize what you're looking for is only found in Jesus because here's what you're looking for fundamentally. You were created for a relationship with God. That relationship should define you, should be the fulfillment and the satisfaction of your soul that can only be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So no matter what you accomplish and who you know and how good your marriage is and where you live and, and how many people like you, you'll never be enough because it cannot deliver. But here is what Paul discovered. Jesus is better. And he shows us why. Verse 9. Philippians 3, verse 9. He says, and be found in him, in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or religion, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, what we're looking for in whatever it is we're chasing, we can only find in a relationship with God, and we can only have a relationship with God through a relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. So eyes right here just for a second. I want, I want you to hear me say this. Don't miss this. There's only one thing every person needs to have a relationship with God. One thing, not 10 things. Not 14 things, not 50 things, one. There's only one thing every person needs to have a relationship with God. And here's the problem with the condition of humanity. None of us have the one thing. The one thing is righteousness. That's the one thing. You see, the reason there's a relationship deficit between us and God is because of sin. Sin interrupts our relationship with God. It severs the relationship. Sin is anything unrighteous. See, what is righteousness? I'll simplify it by saying it's the perfection of God. So God is perfect to be in a relationship with God, which means we, we gotta have the perfection of God. Sin broke that in us, and so now we are unrighteous. And so all humanity does is through religion, we are trying to manufacture righteousness, hoping we can do enough to be embraced by God. Or we say, I'll just seek in the creation what I'm supposed to be finding in the creator because I don't have what it takes to have a relationship with him. 
And here's why Paul says, everything I've been looking for is found in Christ, because here's what he says, I wanna be found in Christ, why? Because in Christ, I have the righteousness that I need the righteousness that doesn't come from the law, it comes by faith in Christ alone. You see, the one thing we need is the one thing we don't have, and that's exactly what Jesus came to offer. The perfection of God is embodied in the person of Jesus, and so Jesus lives the life we couldn't live, the perfect, righteous life, and he dies in our place, and when we place our faith and trust in him, Jesus says, the righteousness that you need that comes from God, which is the only thing that's gonna reconcile the relationship, I'm gonna give to you so that in me, you can be reunited to God and have this relationship where you can experience the reason you were created. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus says, you need righteousness? You don't have it, but I got more than enough. In that relationship with Jesus, we reconciled to God, and now we can begin a life of chasing Jesus, the, the life that we were created for. And I want you to see this change in Paul. This is the change that he wants to create in all of us. You see, what I said earlier was, whatever you see is ultimate, you will ultimately pursue, right? So whatever you see in your life is ultimate. That's what's gonna bring me satisfaction and the most completion and, and, and settledness in my soul. Then you're gonna pursue that. So when Paul recognized that everything he was looking for was ultimately found in Christ, Jesus became his ultimate pursuit. And he began a relentless life of chasing Jesus with everything, with all of who he was. I want you to see this transformation. He says this, he goes in verse 10 now, he says, that I may know him. So he says, look, I wanna be found in Christ with the righteousness that comes by faith. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. If you wanna summarize the Apostle Paul's life, this is one phrase, that I may know him. See, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, look, I put stop on the, the peloton of religion because I recognize that Jesus is better and I'm no longer running on that. I'm running and chasing after Jesus. Why? Because he's ultimate and so therefore I wanna know him and I wanna know him more and more and more and more. That's the Christian life, believer. You know that. What is the Christian life? The Christian life is you pursuing Jesus, chasing Jesus to know him more and more, and more, and more. The word know here, uh, if you wanna circle that in your Bible, the word know is a, comes from the Greek word gnosko. It's a word that means experiential knowledge. It's, a, it's an encounter, it's intimacy. It's not factual. It's not just information. It is an encounter. In fact, the parts of speech, the way that this could literally be translated is this. It is to to come to know by experience, to come to know by experience, a growing relationship with Jesus, to know him more and more and more. Uh, and here's the thing, I think, the, here's the confusion. Most Christians view their salvation, we don't say it, but we live like it. We treat our salvation like the destination, when really it's just the beginning of the journey. That's why whenever I ask people, I ask people this question, you know, run into someone you really don't know and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Like, do you know Jesus? Here's 90% of the time, here's the answer I get. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know Jesus. Um, at VBS when I was 12, this guy's like 52, right? At VBS when I was 12, man, they gave an invitation and I came forward. I got baptized that week. Yeah, I know Jesus. So here's the question. I asked, do they know Jesus and what they do? They don't point to an active relationship they have. They point to an event in the past. Why? It's because so many of us think knowing Jesus happened at salvation and that's the destination, not the beginning of a journey. So just think about the, the knowing more and more and deeper getting to know him. And what Paul is saying is that, look, on the road to Damascus, I came to know Jesus and I saw that in him, I found everything that I'd been looking for. And that day started a journey where I wanted to know him more and more. I want to know him more today than I did yesterday and I want him to know tomorrow more than I do today and in 10 years from now, I want to know him in even greater ways. In other words, Paul says, my whole life is now in this pursuit of chasing and knowing Jesus. I illustrate it like this. Um, Think about a marriage and a wedding. Um, my wife and I have been married for almost 22 years now. And, uh, and it's, it'd be safe for me to say, I know my wife better today than I've ever known her in all of our relationship. And, and, and so it's, it's, we're getting to that point in our marriage now after 20 plus years where we finish each other's sentences, uh, our, our taste buds have even kind of merged to where we kind of like the same kind of foods and our activities, we kind of, all of a sudden now we find the same hobbies and it's over time, two individuals living in, in, in an intimate relationship over a period of time, knowing each other more and more and more, all of a sudden there's a friendship that's bonded that over the 20 year period where I know her more today than I've ever known her. We even think alike a lot of the times, which is scary for her, I promise you. But it didn't get there overnight. There's been 21 years of journey of knowing her and her likes and just her knowing me, my likes and dislikes, going through seasons of hardships, knowing each other more and more and more. So if you were to ask me, hey, I want you to tell me about your relationship with uh, Adrian. Tell me about Adrian. I wouldn't answer you by going, well, on March 17th, 2001, we were in a church. She was in a white dress and there were friends on stage. And there was great music and we had cake and we had this kind of dinner afterwards and oh, it was amazing. I would never answer, tell me about your wife by pointing to an event 21 years ago. I'd tell you about yesterday though. I'd tell you about conversations that we've had in this last couple of weeks and months where we're growing and our love for one another in relationship, we've worked through friction and how we've worked through conflict. I could tell you about real life today. Why? Because I wanna know her. She wants to know me. And if that's the case when it comes to marriage, then why is it that so often we describe our relationship with Jesus as some event that happened back when we made a profession of faith and we fail to recognize that the point of that moment was the beginning of a journey that you're gonna spend the rest of your life getting to know him more and more and more and more. And this is, this is Paul's heartbeat. This is the Christian life. This is so significant. You see, what about the other pursuits of life? Aren't they, aren't they important? Well, yeah, they're important, but they find their place within you pursuing him. Everything finds its place when you pursue Jesus. I love what um, J.I. Packer says about this. He says, once you become aware of the main uh, busyness that you are here for, to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own 
accord. In other words, what Packer is saying is when you come to realize that the primary reason you're here is to know him and to pursue him, everything else that's getting you distracted and you chase it, they'll fall into place. You say, what do you mean? So rather than chasing the, the new home or the new career or the better relationship, what if you chase Jesus? Then if you chase Jesus, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna be walking in intimacy with Jesus. And when you're living in fellowship and intimacy with Jesus, the things that Jesus has for you will come to place in your life. So you'll live in not maybe your home, but you'll live in the home that Jesus has for you. Your marriage will look like Jesus wants your marriage to look. Your relationships will be structured around Jesus. You're not gonna be interested in the approval of others and you're not gonna build your life around everyone else doing this to you because you're gonna recognize that I have all the approval I need in Jesus. So when Jesus is what you chase as ultimate in your life, the other things in your life fall into place and they may not fall into place the way that you want them, but they'll fall into place the way that he wants them and his will is better than yours and when Jesus is ultimately, you want his will over yours as well. So you might end up where you didn't initially desire, but because you're chasing him, your desires will change. Most of our life's dilemmas could be eliminated if we just got serious about knowing Jesus and pursuing him. So what does this look like in real life? What does this look like in real life? Well, Paul answers this in verse 10. I should go back and see this. This is what it looks like to experience. So this is all that. That may know him is about experiencing him intimately, um, not information, knowing him personally. And listen to what he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, I know, I'm gonna go ahead and acknowledge the elephant in the room. All right, so that I may know him, know him more and more and more. How many of you would say, just in the few minutes that we've had, you feel a little motivated now to wanna know Jesus more? Raise your hand if that's you. Hopefully there's more than four, right? Now, we talk about this, Paul is gonna talk about what does it look like for us to know him more, experience him. He says there's resurrection power. Now all the hands are going up because yeah, I wanna know him and I wanna know power. And may share in his sufferings. Wait a second, pump the brakes. Like I, I'm good with the first two, like knowing him and knowing his power is awesome, but I'm not so sure. Hang in there, it gets worse. So, um, and becoming like him in his death. Wait a second, so you went from knowing him, awesome, his power, yes, suffering, not so sure, death, out, right? But Paul says that this is what it means to experience him. I wanna, I wanna unpack this, let me give you one phrase that summarizes this that we'll hang the rest of the sermon on. Experiencing Jesus, which is what we're using for knowing Jesus, this growing, ever-growing relationship. Experiencing Jesus is to be transformed by him through suffering with him in order to become like him. And that's the Christian life. That's what it means to experience and know him, is to, to be transformed by him through suffering with him in order to become like him. So let me unpack it in three phrases here. First is transformed by him. Look what he says in verse 10 again. He says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. What Paul is describing here is the, the very power that resurrected Jesus from the grave being experienced in his everyday life. The same power that raised Christ from the grave being experienced in his everyday life. He says, I wanna know him and I wanna know the power of the resurrection in my life. Now this is a reference to the presence of Jesus through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
The word power here is an interesting word. It's the word in Greek, dunamis. It means transformative power. Power that changes things. It, it, it literally means power that evokes change. Uh, the word dunamos is where we, uh, where we get in our English uh, language. The word dynamite comes from this word. And I'm always cautious to use that comparison because a lot of times we, when we think of dynamite, we think of destruction. But the, the idea of the word is it evokes change. So whatever dynamite, if it explodes, whatever's around it, it's going to be impacted and transformed. That's the point of it. I uh, had one of our staff members, uh, Craig, said uh, he, he loved that, that, that imagery there. And he says uh, the first thing that came to his mind was Mount Rushmore. You know, they built Mount Rushmore by taking uh, small packages of dynamite and slowly chipping away at the, the face of the mountain until they designed the uh, Mount Rushmore the way that it is. And so the point is, is that they use something explosive to evoke change for good. And this is the, the picture that Paul is painting. Is I want to know him, and I want to know the explosive, transforming power of Jesus in my life. This word power here is the same word that Paul uses in first, I'm sorry, at first, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, when he says, uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the dunamis, the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Paul is saying the, the, the gospel is so powerful that it evokes change. It applies salvation to our life. The word power is also, and don't miss this, it's the same word that Jesus used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Don't miss this. What Jesus is showing us in saying, and you will receive dunamis, resurrection power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Eyes right here for a second. That means that every single one of you who are a follower of Jesus, every believer in the room, do you realize that you have within you right now the resurrection power of Jesus. You have that. Like it's available to you. The scripture tells us that when we uh, come to faith in Christ, that we are sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then as we live the Christian life, there is a continuation of being filled on an ongoing basis with the Holy Spirit. And what is the filling of the Holy Spirit doing? He is applying the resurrection power of Jesus to your life. The problem is, is that intellectually, I say this and it's like, oh, really? And I knew that or I heard that before, but have you walked in it? Have you experienced it? You see, when Paul says, I want to know him, I want to experience him and the, the power of the resurrection, Paul is saying, I want to know him and I just don't want to know that I have the potential of the resurrection power in me. I want to experience the power of Jesus at work in my life. I don't want just to theologically agree. Oh, the pastor says we have resurrection power. He's like, no, I don't care what the pastor says. I want to experience it. If Jesus has it, I want to know it. And so many of us in Christianity is we are so content with just knowing resurrection power is there and we don't pursue and walk in it and plead that Jesus would let us experience him in a way that brings it in our life. I mean, heart question for you this morning. Would your life 
in your relationship with Jesus right now be described as resurrection power filled life? I mean, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is very real. The power of the Holy Spirit is the resurrection of power of Jesus in your life that allows you to endure when you want to quit. In that moment of temptation, it's the resurrection power of Jesus that gives you victory over sin. In those moments where Jesus tells you to share your faith and you're scared to death, it's the resurrection power of Jesus that allows you to be bold and stand up and to speak the truth and love and help someone know that, that, that they can have a relationship with Christ. It is the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that allows you and I to live out our God-given mission and calling. And by the way, every one of you have that in your life. A mission that God has called you. And one of the reasons we don't live on the mission of God is not because we don't know it's there, it's because we don't walk in the resurrection power of Jesus to experience it. Believer, I just, I want you to be encouraged today. And I, this, is, this is mind blowing. Jesus is crucified on Sunday, lays in a tomb for three days and on Sunday morning, he is resurrected by the supernatural power of the living God. And he, in that moment, the resurrection power offers salvation to the world. And this is what Paul is saying to you and me. That resurrection power is available for you to walk in. This changes everything when we discover begin to pursue Jesus in this way. So I want to know him. I want to know what power is resurrection. Now comes the hard part. I want to know the power is resurrection, but it's going to require some things. So Paul says, I want to be transformed by him. That's what the resurrection power does. But this comes through suffering with him. Through suffering with him. Look what he says. I, I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings. The share in his suffering is this idea of if, is, is, is transformed. Oh, there you go. Thank you. They may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share. The word share here is the, is the word koinonia. It's, throughout the New Testament, the word koinonia is used to describe the church. The word literally means uh, fellowship, but not like fellowship like in a Baptist fellowship, like where we just get together and eat. It's fellowship like in a biblical fellowship to where we're partners together, like we're, we're connected to a common mission. And what, what Paul is saying is, I wanna know Jesus, I want to know the power of the resurrection, and I wanna fellowship, I wanna be a partner with Jesus in his suffering. Now, very few of us wanna, 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 wanna have that kind of bold faith where we go, okay, I wanna know Jesus, I wanna suffer with him. Most of us, if you're like me, you wanna avoid suffering at all cost. And what Paul is recognizing is a very simple truth. There is no resurrection without a crucifixion. So how can there be resurrection power in your life without Seasons of suffering. You see, leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus endured all kinds of suffering on our behalf. And on the cross itself, he endured suffering to the point of death. And the byproduct of the suffering of Jesus is resurrection and life for everyone. And so if we want to walk in resurrection power, there, there must be seasons when we go through suffering with Jesus, fellowshipping with him, because that is where we begin to experience resurrection power in our life. 
in the greatest way. Let me explain it to you like this. In, this, in, this, in our fallen, broken world, there is general suffering. There's suffering because of the, the, the hardships of life, sin, brokenness, all of that is real. And so there's a coming a day when he's gonna come back and make all things new and all sin and brokenness will be done away with. But until that day, there's a lot of brokenness and hardships and just common suffering that we're all gonna go through at different seasons of our life. And here's what God does because he loves us and he wants us to know him and the power of his resurrection. He will allow providentially, he will orchestrate our life and he will use the common suffering of humanity in our life to produce something in us that he couldn't do or wouldn't do if we didn't go through suffering. So when we go through seasons of hardship, here's what you need to know. He doesn't waste your pain. He uses the common brokenness of your life and the pain and the, the suffering of your life and he providentially uses that to reveal more of himself to you so that you might know him more and it's in that place of brokenness and weakness and frailty and suffering that you begin to depend upon a power that is not your own Then all of a sudden in the suffering, resurrection power is lived in and walked in and it wouldn't be if you didn't go through the suffering. It also, it's not just general suffering, but it's, it's I think the, the implication of, of this passage is suffering for Jesus. I think it applies to everything, but I think that specifically it's suffering for Jesus. So if you want to know him and the power of his resurrection, you better believe that you're gonna suffer for his name. Paul would say this to, he says this to Timothy. He says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Not might be, could be, will be. So following Jesus is going to come at a cost. And here's what Paul is saying. I wanna suffer not just generally, I wanna suffer with Jesus, for Jesus. Like Jesus suffered for me. And, and this is why when you look at the book of Acts, they considered it uh, a privilege that they got to suffer in similar ways as Christ suffered. Why? It's because when you suffer in ways that Christ suffered, you know him more. You get to experience more of what Jesus went through for you so he can redeem you. And so now in that suffering, your understanding of the gospel expands. This is why James would say it like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials. Why? Because Jesus is doing a work in you when you suffer for him. This is why Jesus himself would say to the disciples, blessed are you when men persecute you and hate you and speak evil against you for my name's sake. Why would he say blessed? It's because in that season of suffering, there is intimacy that gets developed with Jesus that cannot be developed in other seasons. And you begin to have to rely on Jesus' strength and not your own. You see, what gets in the way of resurrection power is us. But when he brings us to the end of us, all of a sudden what happens is, is that we're left with no ability to get through the circumstance. We don't know what to do. And all of a sudden we're in a place of humility and brokenness now where the power of the resurrection of Jesus can manifest itself in our life. Let me show you what I mean in the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse eight. Paul is talking about seasons of hardship and specifically there was some sort of issue he was facing we don't know what exactly it is but he was going through something that he needed deliverance from and so he was praying about it this is what he says in in Roman in St. Corinthians 12 verse 8 he says three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me but he said to me my grace is sufficient 
for you. My power is made perfect. In other words, Paul is going, I want you to remove this situation and Jesus says, I'm not gonna do it. He said, no, you want me to remove you from the situation. I know you want the suffering to come to an end. And so listen, it's okay for us to ask for suffering to be gone. That's a part of our dependency of trusting him by calling on him to act on our behalf. But there are moments where because he loves us and he wants us to know him, he will say to us, no, no, my grace is sufficient. So I'm not taking you out of the situation, but just know that I'm gonna be enough in the situation. My grace is sufficient for you, and here's why. For my power, resurrection power of Jesus, dunamis, my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, the resurrection power of Jesus now comes to fruition in our life when we go through moments of weakness. Why? He says, basically because we no longer trust in ourselves and we depend upon him. And this is what Paul's conclusion is. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? When I am weak, then I am strong. So now you know why Paul says, I want to know him. I want to experience resurrection power. I want to fellowship in his suffering. Why? It's because in those seasons where we have no place to turn other than him, we come to the end of ourselves. All of a sudden, we begin to live and operate in the power that is greater than anything we'd ever understood that we could walk in. And there is strength that we don't know. People are looking at us going, how did you do it? How did you make it through? We can go, look, it wasn't me. It was Christ in me. He gave me the strength. And what's happening in that moment is you're living in resurrection resurrection power and your intimacy and trust for Jesus grows through that suffering I want to fellowship it's not just I want to suffer for Jesus I want to fellowship with him in suffering what does that mean intimacy you know I think everybody you may not call it this but I think everybody has what they call their 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 top five people in their life if the bottom falls out like for me, there, there are five friends that I have that if the bottom falls out, it doesn't matter if it's three in the morning, I'm calling. Like everybody needs those people in your life. And if I was to make a list of my five, here's one thing that I'll recognize about my five. The reason they're in my five is because we've gone through suffering together. We've gone through hardships, we've cried together. We've suffered together. We've gone through pain together. And because of that shared relationship, I'm their first call and they're my first call. Because there's, there's a trust that grows through hardship. And it, and it solidifies. There's a couple of friends that I have. I, I don't talk to them but a few times a year. And they're in my five. Because we've been through some stuff. So as you suffer with Jesus, fellowshipping with him, there's a dependency that you grow in your relationship with Jesus, the intimacy that, that you develop, and you can't get that kind of intimacy in the easy times in life. You just can't. It takes hardship. Because in those hardships, we find a strength that's not ours. Now, here is ultimately what Paul leads to, and this is the last part of this that we don't like. It's very simple. Paul says, I want to know him. 
I want to, experiencing Jesus is being transformed by his power. Yes and amen. Through, through suffering for him. And here's what he says at the end. This is going to ultimately cause me to be transformed, to be like him. Now, how does that happen? He says at the very end of that, I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection, fellowship in his suffering. Then he says this, the hardest one, becoming like him in his death. What is that? Becoming like him in his death is you dying to you. It's dying to you. So what does it mean to become like him in his death? Leading up to the crucifixion, coming like him in his death. The Bible describes Jesus' humility. He, he forsake his position as, as the glory of, of heaven to become a man, to live among us, to suffer and to be spit upon and, and, and even have fleshly desires that he said no to in order to honor the Father. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's another way, let the cup pass. He was talking about the cross. Then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Theologians will argue that the victory of the cross was not gained at the cross. It was gained in the Garden of Gethsemane when he relinquished his own rights. So becoming like him in his death is you relinquishing your rights to your life and dying to yourself. You see, to know him in the power of his resurrection and go through suffering, suffering reveals things about us that need to die. Temptation reveals things about us that need to die. Can, can I tell you the, the one thing that's probably sta standing between you and a, a freedom-filled life in Christ? You need more funerals in your life. And I don't mean physical funerals. I mean daily spiritual funerals where you die to yourself. You take up your cross, an instrument of death. Jesus, this is not about me. I'm gonna die to myself. I heard one friend say it when he preached this passage. He says, who better to know Jesus than the one hanging next to him? This is why Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. It's dying to yourself being willing to say no so that the power of Jesus might be experienced in your life. Now listen, all that's a part of the journey of knowing him. And why do we pursue that journey? It's because of verse 11. In verse 11, Paul beautifully comes to, not the end because we'll pick up next week on a second part of this. But Paul says, I wanna know him in this way. And he kind of tells us why. He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Now, this resurrection of the dead is not just resurrection of the old sinful life. This is the actual resurrection when Christ returns and we know him fully and he makes all things new and, and we will fully know him forever and ever and ever. And Paul is saying, I want to, because I, I might attain this. Now, it's interesting, and we've got to note, when he says that I may attain the resurrection, he's not saying that I'm working for something that's not mine. He's talking about, I'm gonna lay hold of something that's secured for me. In other words, if this is where it's all heading, 
and this is what's mine when it's all said and done, I'm not wasting any time. That's why he says that by any means possible, what does he mean? Resurrection power, suffering, death, I don't care. I wanna know him, why? Because there's a day coming, he's gonna come back and all things will be made new and I will know him fully. I will be like him fully and forever we will live in this relationship and if that's where we're headed, then that's where I'm going now. His eye is on the finish line. My son ran some distance races this year and uh, he hated every second of it. But he had won the two mile, which is a terrible race. Uh, and it was interesting that when, when he would get to run, I would stand on the side of the track and I would you know, tell him what his pace is, encourage him, hey, one lap down, seven more to go. two down, and finally, in the second half, I'm like, hey, buddy, you're halfway there. You're halfway there. Here's your time, and try to catch the person in front of you. Keep running. And what something happens, though, in those distance races, that when they get to the final lap, this bell rings. And that bell declares to the runners one lap to go. And something inevitable happens every time I've watched those races. As soon as that bell rang, because the finish line was in sight, the runners begin to race with a little more passion. They begin to run with a little more energy. They had a, had a little quicker uh, step as they run around the track. They're looking for the finish line. And as they one by one, they're sprinting to the end. Why? Because the finish line is in view. Can I just tell you, listen, we're running this race. We're chasing Jesus. Why? Because we find in Jesus everything that we could ever want. So we want to know him, the power of his resurrection. We want to fellowship in suffering, become like him in his death. Why? Because the end line is there. The one day, hey, listen, there's a bell that's going to ring, and we don't know when that lap is going to finish. But what we do know is that the finish line is there. And so with all of our energy, we're like, I want to know him. I want to chase him. I want to pursue him. Why? Because the finish line, I'm going to be with him forever, be like him forever. And everything that I've exhausted in this race will be worth it. Why? He is everything to me. And therefore, because he will be everything to me forever, he is everything to me now. And I run with all of who I am. I want to offer two responses this morning, very briefly, and we'll have a worship song. The first is this. Some of you in this room, you're not sure you know him. Like when I talk about knowing him, you might point to an event, but you can't point to a relationship at all. And I want you to know, if you're, if you're putting hope in some experience that you had that didn't result in a relationship with Jesus, you need to check out what that experience was because it may not be what you think it is. So if you're not certain of a relationship with Jesus, if you know him, then I want you to leave your seat in a moment. They're gonna be encouragers here and come and just say, hey, I wanna know Christ. I wanna know him by trusting him and him alone. Find life in him. I wanna chase him with the rest of my life. So that's the first. Second is this. For those of you in your life that if this doesn't describe you, then you gotta ask yourself, what am I chasing? because everybody's chasing something. So if Jesus is a secondary pursuit for you, then there's a primary pursuit. You gotta repent of that. 
And I'm gonna encourage you, come and be prayed for. Come to this altar. Repent of whatever it is that you're pursuing with your life other than Christ. And then ask Jesus to give you a fresh passion through the indwelling Holy Spirit to pursue him with more passion. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And I ask now in the name of Jesus that as we worship and respond, I pray that you would give courage to anyone who needs to surrender their life to you. And I pray that you would give clarity to anyone who needs to repent of pursuits other than you. God, I'm asking that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. And Stephanie's going to sing a song that's very special to me. It was sang at my wedding. And uh, it describes this relationship uh, that Paul shows us in Philippians. And as you listen to the lyrics and sing along, you respond and um, begin that journey pursuing him.